Wise Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Okay, welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. I like to bring you information, inform you, inspire you, empower you, get you to think, get you to feel, hopefully get you to act with uh, new information, new ways of looking at subject matters, things that we may be interested, but we may not even know enough about them to be interested in because we're so busy with our day-to-day lives. So what we do on Guys Guys Radio, I do my best to find guests that'll provide some new information, new ways of thinking about things. And that's what we're going to do today. We've got three guests, actually, on Guys Guys Radio. We've got a collaborative team, Gay Hendricks and Carol Klein. They're both New York Times bestselling authors. And They have written this book. It's a little gem. It's called Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. And there's a whole bunch of practices here, how to kind of reformat your software, your your subconscious software to attract luck to you. And I've done some of the exercises in the book, and I read the book, and I highly recommend it. And it's going to be a fun discussion with Gay and Carol. Separate subject, separate guest. We've also got Joanne DiMaggio coming back to Guys Guys Radio. She's got a new book. It's called I Did It to Myself Again. New Life Between Lives case studies show how your soul's contract is guiding your life. And uh, Joanne's been uh, researching past lives and past lives uh, therapy for the past 30 years. And for this book, she interviewed 25 people and regressed them to find out what happened to them when they crossed over from past lives. There's an amazing amount of consistencies through this. It's a really fascinating book, and we're going to have a really great discussion on that. So I've got three guests today for you on Guys Guys Radio, and hopefully that information will help you out and uh, inform you and entertain you, and we'll have a good time here. So we've got Gay Hendricks, Carol Klein, Conscious Luck, and we've got Joanne DiMaggio. I did it to myself again. Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. I can't wait to get started. Guys Guy Radio. I've got a special show for you today. As I had mentioned, uh, we're going to talk about luck. And a lot of people wonder if they're lucky or not. Well, you know, the good news is that you can actually develop your luck. And I've got two wonderful experts on the show today. I've got Gay Hendricks, PhD. He served for more than 40 years as one of the major contributors to the fields of relationship transformation and Body Mind Therapies. He is a New York Times bestselling author, and his books include Conscious Loving and The Big Leap. You may know that one. Carol Klein is also a number one New York Times bestselling author and the co-author of Happy for No Reason, Love for No Reason, and five of the books in the uh, wonderful Chicken Soup for the Soul series. So thank you so much, Gay and Carol, for being on Guys Guys Radio. Thanks a lot, Robert. Great being with you. All right, let's talk about this book. It's called Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. So why do you think it is that people believe or have been led to believe that they're so unlucky? The main reason is because of what's between our ears. The, um, the problem is that we go around manufacturing our own limitations in the form of the way we think about things. So a lot of people don't think of themselves as very lucky and therefore they're not very lucky. Um, just like if, if you don't think you're entitled to um, any other thing, you'll go along without it. And so what Carol and I figured out and what the scientific research really agrees with us on is there's a number of ways to actually increase 
the luck factor in your life enormously. And so we've detailed all those out. And But the main empowering thing I really want people to know, and it's so important right now at this time in our lives, is that you can take on the job of making yourself luckier by things you the way you think and the way you feel. And we've laid out some real careful detail about just how to go about that. Okay. It sounds like it's kind of a, uh, you know, a upgrade for the software, your mental conscious software. So what are some of the steps uh, from the very beginning? If somebody says, okay, I am going to make a conscious effort to enhance my ability to attract luck. What's the first thing they should do? Well, I love Gay's quote, which I've learned is that the first step of conscious change is willingness. And so if someone is saying, I want to do this, they've already made the first step, their willingness to change. Then there has to be, and one of the most uh, pivotal, and I, I think the foundational stories in our book, comes from Gay's life uh, because it's, it illustrates that first decision, that mindset is incredibly important. And you know that's everywhere in the positive psychology literature. But your mindset really determines. And I was shocked when I learned that luck you know, lucky charms, you hear about some people's lucky socks or their lucky golf club or, you know, rabbit's feet, all these things we've sort of poo-pooed all these years. Well, they do work, but you know why? Not because of any intrinsic luck, you know, producing quality in them, but in our mindset. When we feel like we're lucky, when we believe we're lucky, when we decide to be lucky. Okay. Have you, you two, since you got together for this book, do you both now consider yourselves, uh, before you wrote the book, can, had been on a path to consider yourselves as being lucky or luckier than you were before? Well, I I have had, I think like most people, I had good luck and bad luck in my life. And, you know, good things happened. I got to work as a writer and became a New York Times bestselling author. My hat, my dot, my father died when I was very young and our house burned down. There was, there's always this variety. But what happened for me was a fork in the road when I learned that luck could be something I chose and that it wasn't a random thing. So since reading the manuscript of Conscious Luck in 2011 or 2012, I understand that I had chosen one of the conscious luck secrets was in my life earlier on, but I didn't recognize that I had created that luck when I overcame fear, asked for what I wanted, and basically uh, was willing to overcome out of my comfort zone. But I consider myself a very lucky person, but now I have control over it. Gay? Well, yeah, in a way, the same thing. I consider myself now the luckiest person I've ever met, and I've felt that way for a long, long time. But I didn't feel myself lucky at all when I was sitting there next to that kid in the movie theater. Up until then, I thought I was actually actually in some ways cursed because I was real fat when I was a little boy. And I was taken around to different medical professionals because I was the only fat person in a very thin family. Everybody else was thin as a rail, and here's this fat kid in the middle. And later on, they found all sorts of problems with my pituitary and thyroid and all that. But basically, it didn't get handled until I had a big awakening of awareness when I was in my 20s, and then I lost 100 pounds and have kept it off ever since. But I didn't think of myself as lucky at all until I decided after listening to Danny, I decided to change my what was between my ears. And so I just kind of, you know, like you can shrug off something. I shrugged it on. I said, okay, I'm going to take on being a lucky person. And then I got such immediate great feedback on it because I had this bizarre 
great thing happened right after I made my mind shift. And that was I, I came out of a shop I'd been in and saw on the street a satchel sitting next to a, a parking meter. And I, I looked at the satchel and I, I thought it belonged to a man I'd just seen in the shop who had then gone off to a restaurant to have lunch with his wife. And it turned out to be a famous coin collector. And in that satchel was thousands and thousands of dollars worth of collectible coins. I was a coin collector at the time. And in fact, the shop I'd just come out of had a section where I always went to do my coin collecting stuff. And so I saw it and I realized, oh, the guy probably, he was an elderly fellow. And I, I thought he, put, he probably put a quarter in the parking meter and then walked off to lunch and left his satchel there absentmindedly. So I just picked it up and I took it back in to Ned, the shop owner. And I said, Hey, I, I think this is the guy that was just in here. And Ned's eyes popped open. He said, oh, my God, that was Mr. So-and-so from Lakeland, Florida. He's one of the world's greatest coin collectors. And he was in showing me some of those. And where did you find it? And I told the story. I said, I just found it outside on the curb. And so I brought it back in. Anyway, I went off to the movie theater to see a Tarzan movie with my grandmother, and uh, who loved Tarzan movies. And during the two hours, it turned out that the guy had reported this satchel missing and it actually locked down the restaurant he was standing or sitting in with his wife and had the police come and search everybody and everything and then he got back to the coin store to tell the story and ned said here gay hendrix found it and so it turned out that during the two hours they'd gone looking for me to he wanted to give me something and uh, I wasn't there. So, but later on, a couple of weeks later, a beautiful coin collection of my favorite Buffalo nickels, a hundred percent brand new mint uncirculated coin collection of all the Buffalo nickels in existence came in this beautiful packaging. And it was worth more money than I'd ever seen in my life. Let's get into the uh, meat of the book. I want to make sure we can cover that. So you, we, there has to be a process with this. And you guys, guys have done a great job. So there's the part two of the book um, after the invitation to transformation, really, and pretty much getting people on the path is there's four secrets to foundational secrets to making these shifts about luck. So why don't you guys get into those four secrets? The four foundational secrets really are core shifts inside your psyche, um, inside more of a deeper level of, of how you live. And I really uh, think that th those were, they came from the first half of this manuscript. They were gaze, you know, mind-body therapy background. And they're, they're extremely powerful and simple. And they start with what we've talked about, deciding to be, committing to be ha uh, lucky. And then there is a problem because you can commit, but you have things that are mental conditionings from when you were a child that are still keeping you from things that you want. So one of the very important things you have to do is release your personal barriers to luck. Gay, did you want to comment more on that? Yeah, in the personal barriers chapter, many people listening have probably read my book, The Big Leap. And in The Big Leap, I talk a lot about something called the upper limit problem. And the upper limit problem is the tendency to sabotage ourselves when things start going well. And so you have you might have a breakthrough at work and then you go home that night and you start a, a row with your family or the other way around. You might have a really 
great weekend of intimacy with your beloved and then on Monday morning get into a big squabble with your boss. But I began to look at that in my own life and I realized that I had an allergy to things going well, that when things went well, I'd sort of break out in a metaphorical allergy and then I'd go back down to where I was before. And I started calling it the upper limit problem. And I start, I was at the time, I'd just gotten my doctorate at Stanford and I was working there in Silicon Valley. And I ended up doing a lot of counseling with executives from high tech firms that were just getting underway. All the great firms that are now big were then, you know, a lot of little startups like Intel and things like that. And, but these brilliant people, I realized I always say the longest journey is the 12 inches from your head to your heart. And these guys had the most difficulty with their emotions and, you know, kind of listening to their emotions and listening to other people's emotions, things that all were heart level kinds of things. And so I realized that we often use emotional things as way of, of upper limiting ourselves. When things go well, we often then dial up some old fear or old anger or old sadness. And then we get lost in that and it pulls us back down to where we were before. And so that's the problem that we keep coming up against over and over again. And that's why I really want people to go sit in a room when they get to chapter two, just go sit in the room by yourself for 10 or 15 minutes and work out those basic ideas because they'll save you a lot of misery out there in life. Guys, Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. Very special show. We've got the authors, Gay Hendricks and Carol Klein. The book is Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. We're talking about, there's there's eight secrets. We, talk, we kind of touched on the first four. Commit to being a very lucky person, release your personal barriers uh, to good fortune, transform shame into a magnet for abundance, and have luck-worthy goals. Um, one of the things I really liked about the book was uh, you have to participate, and I forced myself to write down. And sometimes when you don't really believe something, it's hard even to write it down. So first I had to say out loud, I, Robert Manny, make a sincere commitment to being lucky now and forever. And then I had to write it down a few times uh, and also write it with my non-dominant hand. And it's not easy, and it really shows people's lack of belief in themselves when they attempt to do this. And that's why it's so important that you go through the process of the exercises here. Is there anything else you want folks to know about that and uh, these uh, part two of the book, which is the first four secrets? Well, one thing I'd like everybody to know is that we all come from the factory, so to speak, wired for different feelings and emotions. Most people feel their sadness here in their chest, and most people feel their fear down in the butterfly sensations of the belly, and a lot of us feel our anger up in our jaws when we tighten our jaws or hunch our shoulders. So we come wired with predisposition to different emotions just based on who we are as human beings. And what we've found is that oftentimes people don't feel themselves lucky because they're in the grip of old emotions that are left over from childhood. And we have a whole chapter on shame because so many of our clients identify to us a feeling of sh shame and, and guilt about things they've done in the past, or maybe they were raised with a lot of shame. That, that was the case for me, and I tell some stories about that in the book. But the important point is, is that you can take any emotion that's in your body. Let's say you've got a field of shame that you discover in yourself. Well, just like a farmer can replant a, a 
field with a new crop, you can rededicate that field of energy to becoming a, a luck attractor rather than a shame attractor. Mm -hmm. And it's all done through the power of human consciousness, which is the greatest power ever devised on our planet. It's just uh, an it. awesome thing that we don't get a chance to use to the max most of all. Okay, you also mentioned, um, and maybe Carol, you want to take this one, the, the luck-worthy goals, where you don't want to transform your luck just to be a greedy son of a gun. You want to, you want to be <laughs> kind of service in some way. Uh, you know, you want things, and that's okay. Everybody wants things, but you also want, you don't want to be greedy. So how do we kind of manage that process, Carol? This is a, another shift where, you know, your, your goals... Uh, a lot of people don't even stop to think about their goals. They're putting out fires day after day after day, and, and they don't think about, they, they deal with the urgent and not the important. And one of the most important things I feel that you can do for luck and for yourself as a human is to really think about what you want to do with your life. This one thing you have right now that you are frittering away or not. And that's really a, a huge step right there to take a step back and say, if I could do anything, what would I do? What? And I love how Gay says it. He says, what you love to do and what's meaningful to you are twin strands in your DNA. Mm -hmm. So the most, the goals that are going to bring you the best luck, that's what a luck worthy goal is, that are going to attract luck to you are the goals that number one are meaningful to you and two that allow you to do what you most love to do. And then we add this third turbocharging quality to luck worthy goals. And that is those meaningful goals that light you up also help other people. And when you do that, you put yourself in alignment with forces in the universe that are benevolent. That's what the universe mm -hmm. is about to do. You know, the universe is there to help us all. So when you do that, you start getting these synchronicities, what we call universal winks, winks from the universe. And that has been something so luck chases worthy goals and you have to go back and look at your goals and figure out do they qualify do they pass the conscious luck sniff test mm -hmm. are they meaningful do they light you up and do they help other people as well oh, well spoken well said okay the next part of the book really gets into okay now you've got to put the plan in action because you know what they say about the best laid plans you have to you have to go out and do it and then you have to be consistent and do it and do it and do it. and all the great ones whether it's michael jordan or muhammad ali or mick jagger or whatever they practice and we've got to do practices so in part three you talk about taking bold action finding like-minded people your lucky tribe uh, uh, master the art of being in the right place at the right time and practicing radical gratitude and appreciation which to me is huge gay do you want to talk about that Yes, one of the uh, things, Robert, that um, we talk about a lot in the book is an idea that um, b uh, came from a woman at Stanford, a professor there named Tina Selig, and she has this great metaphor about luck. She says that a lot of people think of luck as a lightning strike, something that happens to you and then you're lucky. Well, she said it's more like luck is a wind that's blowing all the time, and our job is to find our sails and open up our sails so we take advantage of which way the wind is blowing. And I thought that was just a genius example of what you have to do, because what's in, in part two are things like how to take actions that support your luck and um, how to, um, we call it how to be in the right place at the right time. And if you think about it, it, if you look at a bird crossing the sky, 
a bird is taking advantage of currents and riding them the way they are. I live in a part of the country here in California where we have a lot of hawks that you can see circling around up in the sky. And I've sometimes sat there for minutes on end and just watch a hawk effortlessly soar in the wind currents without even moving its wings, just kind of taking advantage of the little shifts in the wind. And I think that ultimately that's what we want to go where we want people to go, that if you master what's in part two of the book, you really start showing up in the right place at the right time more and more for good things to happen. Okay. So um, luck then seems like, you know, the word luck and people think lucky. It's really a lot more than that. It seems like a, a trick or something like that or trivial or, you know, just hoping. But the way the process you put together and the way you conceptualize luck is very different from that. Could you help our listeners out with like what is the difference between how they think about luck and what luck really is? I think the thing that very few people grasp is that luck is not as random as you think. I think Gay's analogy from yeah, Tina very good. Selig, that that was a meta shift for me when I realized that luck and, you know, when they the positive psychology uh, literature really shows that luck is the combined result of your attitudes, your actions, and your associations. It is not a random, capricious, superstitious thing that happens to you. Um, and unfortunately, the, the dictionary definition of luck really reinforces this feeling of like it's not it's unearned success. That's what they kind of call it. Mm. And honestly, when you get away from that, when you understand the sale, that the winds of luck are always are there for everybody and you just have to harness them. So that is to me that, uh, you know, being lucky is not about um, superstition. It is okay. really grounded in science. Uh, Robert Manny, Guys Guys Radio here. Our special guests, Gay Hendricks and Carol Klein. The book we're discussing is Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. Um, I think I don't want to give away all of the book, but it's fantastic. It's a, it's a fast informational read that has a lot of very good practical exercises for shifting that software, that subconscious software, so you can become more lucky. What else do, uh, what else do people really need to know about luck to get started with this? One thing to know is it's a lot easier than you think. It's really a matter of making one little thought shift in your mind to get things started. And the thought is simply that you'd be willing to be luckier today than you were yesterday, and that you're willing to be luckier tomorrow than you were today. There are a lot of other cool techniques in the book, but if you can just begin mm -hmm. to make that little mind shift, you know, it's like making the mind shift to suddenly be willing to receive more abundance today than you did yesterday. It doesn't cost you a nickel to make that mind shift, but then it might produce millions in results. How do you, uh, this one's for Carol, how do, the, how do people then uh, not fall off the wagon? Once they start to get that, as Gay mentioned, kind of the wind uh, with the hawk sailing, how do we keep that going? Because, you know, we get hit in the face all the time with surprises and it's, it's created a culture that is very reactive in nature and very hypnotized in a, in a way in terms of uh, fear. So how, do, how can people not fall into the old habits, fall back into their old habits again? That's a great question. And it's for anything you want to do in life. And the power of commitment is the starting point, but then it's the power of recommitment. You're constantly going to come across times when your old conditioning is you're going to slip. 
and you have to be gentle with yourself. It's something that, uh, you know, gay is the master of explaining that you, you know, it, it, you'll never beat yourself up to wisdom. It doesn't happen. So don't even try. When you find yourself slipping into your old patterns, you have to learn to, and it'll get easier and easier to just say, okay, I did that. And then put your eye on the prize again, recommit to being, to, to your goal, to your, to being lucky. And one of the other things that we talk about is lucky people are resilient. They have a buoyant spirit. And that comes from being able to see the grace and the gratitude, the luck in every situation. Our last um, step, uh, eight, the eighth secret is find, uh, see luck in every situation. Mm -hmm. And it's not about whitewashing your feelings or, you know, spiritual bypass, as I call it, where you sort of put a, a smiley face posted over a gaping wound. It's actually feeling your feelings, being authentic, but then in the sense of tremendously gentle inquiry, asking if there's something in your experience that you could possibly see as lucky. And that is enough of a uh, switch for you to turn around and get out of the victimhood grasp. Got it. Well, you guys are fantastic. Gay Hendricks, Carol Klein, the book is Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. Where can people find the book? Is it out now? And where can they learn more about you too? Yes, well, you can go to ConsciousLuck.com is probably the best place because at ConsciousLuck.com, you can buy the book from all the different Amazons and Barnes and Noble, all the different booksellers. Uh, but we also have uh, put some special bonuses there that if you get the book through ConsciousLuck.com, we have guided meditations for you and a, a guide that you can use for the book and a summary and that, those kinds of things. And also a checklist that you can go through and just see where you are with regard to how lucky do you feel and how willing are you to open up to more luck in your life? So there's a lot of great resources at ConsciousLuck.com. Great. All right. You two have been terrific and you're, you're really good people, too. And I thank you. I'm so glad I got to know you. Thanks for being on the show. Come out with another book and come on back. <laughs> Our Jay pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Robert. All right. Thank you. Guys Guy Radio. Robert Manny, as uh, I mentioned, special special guest, special subject. You know, I've been uh, doing a couple of shows on what happens when we die as kind of a theme, and they've been very, very well received, and I'm so thrilled. So I have a real expert in the area. She's been on the show way back when, when I was first starting out, but her name is Joanne DiMaggio, and she's got a book out. It's called I Did It to Myself Again, New Life between lives. Case studies show how your soul's contract is guarding your life. I know that's a mouthful, but it's really about what happens after we die, um, the process of kind of coming to terms with the life we just lived and making some decisions about what our life purpose is going into the next life. And it's very intricate, yet it's very simple and it's a really beautiful process. So let me tell you a little bit about Joanne. She's an MA and a CHT. She's been professionally pursuing past life research and therapy for over 30 years. And as, as a, I'm an advanced clinical master hypnotist, I can tell you her process is spot on. She earned her master's in transpersonal psychology and her spiritual mentor certification through the Atlantic University. She's been very active with the Edgar Casey Association. And prior to moving to Virginia in 1995, she founded and directed a past life research center in Naperville, Illinois. 
She's an inspired speaker. She's a workshop leader. She's been all over the media, 70 radio programs. She's author of Soul Writing, Conversing with Your Higher Self, Your Soul Remembers, Accessing Your Past Lives Through Soul Writing. Karma can be a real pain, past life, clues, current life maladies, Edgar Casey, and the unfilled destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Joanne DiMaggio. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. So let's start at the very beginning. Let's just personally kind of how did you get into the area? Because we, well, a lot of what you talk about in your book is choosing kind of your soul's purpose. How did you get into this soul's purpose in this life? What do you think? Um, I think it began in around 1987 when Shirley MacLaine came out with uh, Out on a Limb as a miniseries. Uh, and that really was my uh, awakening. I'd always been interested in past life work prior to then. Uh, I've been reading books since I was a teenager with Ruth Montgomery about Edgar Cayce. Uh, those, I think the first book I, I read on reincarnation was The Search for Bridie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was just an interest of mine. And after Shirley MacLaine came out, I decided that I would look into it deeper as a profession. And uh, I became a, a certified hypnotherapist, got my master's degree from Atlantic University, uh, started to do regressions. And then over the course of doing the regressions, I thought I really want to add a new dimension to my practice. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was then to look at what happens between lifetimes. Okay, just a, a couple of points just from my own personal experience with uh, past life regressions. Before I studied hypnosis, I went and had a past life regression done. I don't know why. I looked it up online way back when. I went and had a session done. The therapist, I, I, her name escapes me right now, but she was terrific, and she actually had me focus on one of the uh, the best past lives and one of the worst but best learning past lives I had, and it was like real eye-opener, I think, for people out there who have not had a past life experience regression, it's it's really not, it's not like really watching a movie. It's more of a feeling and you see certain things and you have to piece some of it together and you'll see yourself pass, uh, but it's not painful or anything. And you'll, you'll be able to relate to that individual who that you have been at some point. And it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating. You walk, when you're taking through the process, you kind of you're regressed, you're uh, relaxed, you walk down a corridor sometimes, and you might look out at different uh, different openings, and you choose the one you want to go into. Is that kind of directionally right, Joanne, how the process works? Yeah, I think every therapist has their own script of what's most comfortable. I have three different ways that I do it so that if one doesn't work, uh, I'll switch to the other one. It really works well with visual people who, if I say, you know, you're walking on a path through a forest, and in the forest there's a bridge, when you get to the other side of the bridge, you'll be in your other lifetime. That's one of the ways that I do it. Uh, and that, that seems to work most of the time. There's other ways of doing it as well uh, through guided imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's basically all of us are using basically that we have the same goal in mind. So we're using um, the, the same sort of uh, methods to get there. Got it. So the book is called I Did It to Myself Again, New Life Between Lives. Case studies show how your soul's contract is guarding guiding your life. So what you did in this book is you made it a real study. You, uh, I believe you worked with 20, 26, 25, pe- 25 people. It's interesting that three of them were, were men only, and the rest were women. Was there any, I'm not trying to put you on the defensive, just curious, was <laughs> it just, just how the numbers tumbled or does it matter? 
this was a little unusual. I usually get more men involved in my studies. I just put a call out to people through the uh, ARE and through Unity Church, uh, like-minded souls who might be interested in being a volunteer for this project, and it just turned out that most of them were women. Okay. So let's get into, uh, and, and there was a lot of uh, uh, congruities throughout from what people told you, and they, you know, it's interesting, they all didn't say the same thing, but directionally, uh, there, there, uh, there is some trends, some tendencies there. So why don't we start with what happens, and, you, and you've been regressed, and you've been in this mm-hmm. business for, for ages, and uh, you have this gift. What happens from your standpoint, just generally, somebody dies, okay, the moment of death, mm-hmm. it's not painful, regardless if it's a car crash or something like that. Tell no. us about the moment of, let's take it right from the moment of death. From your studies, what happens? It's a very painless, gentle process. Uh, everyone talks about it in, in, with a sense of freedom and relief and release. Uh, They're fully conscious at the time. Everyone said it was a positive experience. I didn't have anybody say that it was a negative experience. Now, they said they felt, um, some of them said they felt squeezed out of their body or they popped out of their body. Um, But 92% said that they could freely move around. Uh, And most of them left immediately. You know how you hear in near-death experiences, Mm -hmm. how you hover over the body a while, but most of the people in the study said, no, I, I wanted to get out of there. So they, they left immediately. Okay. Um, if they had a traumatic death, usually the soul would leave the body before the body was actually dead. I had one gentleman in my study who um, had been a slave in, in his previous life and had been whipped to death. And he said that he left that body before that body was dead. So he, he didn't experience that kind of trauma. Okay. Well, help, help, let's help our listeners out a little bit with the math. So some people say, and you discuss this in the book, um, you know, there's no really, old souls is kind of a misnomer because there's only a certain amount of souls. So if there's an ever-expanding amount of individuals, uh, how does the whole soul-to-individual um, paradigm work? Well, all souls were created at the same time. If you read Casey's material, especially on the his creation story, uh, you know, all of us were, were born at the same, were created at the same time. The difference being that some of us come back more often than others, and some of us actually don't incarnate on this planet. We will go elsewhere to experience whatever we our soul needs at that moment. So, um, the whole I know Dr. Michael Newton in his book he talked his studies he talked a lot about old souls versus new souls. You know, this is a young soul, this is an old soul, uh, and then he had souls on different tiers. Um, I didn't find that at all in my in my studies. So um, uh, I know people ask me a lot about that math question, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but basically, that's my understanding: is that um, we're, the number stays the same, the number of souls, but it changes in terms of how many are coming in at a certain given point in time. Okay, so the individual uh, leaves the body at, at the moment of passing, and mm-hmm. then um, some of them described you know, going through that kind of tunnel and following the light. What, give us your perspective from what you've learned, kind of what generally, what happens after that moment of uh, transition? Well, um, many of them called it a shift of frequency. Uh, they said it felt like a swirling energy that was traveling. You're traveling fast and far. You get a sense of flying or floating. They would see vivid colors. They would see beams of, of white light. Um, and then then they would get to a gateway or an entry portal. 
Um, and most of them saw the gateway or the entry portal. Some of them did not. Uh, they were usually greeted by uh, either a guide or an angel or however they perceived it to be. And from there had a conversation about that lifetime that had just concluded. And, um, and on it went. They, they met up with their soul family. Uh, they decided you know, who they wanted to pick as parents for the next time around. They went to the Council of Elders. It's okay. a, a long process. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's go through those steps, if it's okay with you. So, sure. Okay. So they, they meet a guide. Maybe it's somebody that was their guardian angel or a guide that was assigned to them um, uh, through this lifetime or many lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct? Is that correct? Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then at that point, they're going to have to go through some type of a process where they're going to meet with a council of elders so it's like a a conference room of some sort form or fashion of of loving souls maybe they look like people but they're entities and some maybe ascended masters whatever Mm -hmm. and they will discuss with the individual um what happened in this life some lessons to be learned was it on mission if you will with soul mission and i don't know if the individual needs to defend themselves or somebody else kind of pitches their states their case for them how does it how does it from your an aggregate of your study how do, what takes place there with this kind of past life review and then it's discussion as to kind of what should be the next steps well if you think of the council of elders as the equivalent of guidance counselors at school all of us have had an opportunity when we're you know going from one grade into the other of sitting down with someone who has our report card in front of them and they can look at it and say, you know, you didn't do too well in this particular class. Maybe you should repeat it. Uh, so our the Council of Elders, yeah, they are wise, highly advanced, ascended masters, um, but there's no judgment. Uh, nobody points a finger and said, boy, you really screwed up. You're going to have to, you know, work on that again. So it's done with a, um, a very loving, non-judgmental way. Uh, and it's simply a discussion of the past life that, that uh, they're going to work on. And I have to say this, too. It's not always linear. It's not always you're working on the lifetime immediately prior to this one. My group uh, went back over a span of 2,000 years. So some of them decided to work on issues from a lifetime that happened a thousand years ago. Um, so you make a list of your karmic issues, the things that you still need to work on, as well as your karmic attributes. These are all the things that you accomplish so that you get to put them in your positive karmic bank account. You could pull on those okay. at any time. All right. So uh, acknowledging that time, you know, for the third dimension where we are, it's a, more of a continuum. but. Once you cross over, the reality is time, everything's happening at the same time. All these lives are happening at the same time. We can't really completely digest that as human beings. But so let's say, so you cross over, you you greeted by a guide, you go to this gate or portal, you meet with this council of elders. How, how quick, and then you're going to determine like, okay, am I going to go back to a, a life in the past or a life in the future? Or like, what am I going to work on? How, how long, from, from your takeaway from your interviews, how much time, and I don't mean literal time, but it seems like there's a lot going on mm-hmm. at the same time when somebody crosses over. Is that overwhelming to them? Do they have to kind of get their sea legs over there? Um, that's why I asked them about their spirit home. What does their home look like? What's your home base look like? Because you're going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, and um, some of them want to come back 
lickety split and others they just sort of take their time and figure things out they you know you have to work a lot out uh in terms of what your next life is going to look like what it's going to be like um and so in general in my studies over the years i have found lifetimes usually range from 50 to 200 earth years apart mm -hmm. but in terms of how long you stay in a place that has no time in planning this out, I, I really don't have any figures on that, and nobody really discussed that in my Got study. It. Okay. Yeah. My special guest, Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manning. My special guest is Joanne DiMaggio. We're talking about her new book, I Did It to Myself Again, New Life Between Live Case Studies Show How Your Soul's Contract is Guiding Your Life. So uh, they meet with the Council of the Elders and determine, okay, where are you going to go now and what your mission is? And it sounds like these elders kind of have kind of sorted things out and like, Here's your uh, here's your assignment, and mm -hmm. then you have to go pick your parents and pick your body and pick actually I guess what your entry point is and all of that. Is that how it works? Exactly. Yeah. So they'll they'll give you your curriculum that you're going to take to uh, Planet Earth School, and uh, so you know what you want to accomplish. Then you sit down with your um, well, you first pick your parents. They this is what my group has said. The they pick their parents out, so they choose a mother and a father that's going to enable them, that's going to give them opportunities to work on the issues that they need to work on. Um, so they they uh, pick a mother, pick a father, then they discuss all this with their soul family, members of their soul family. They'll say, for instance, you know, I want to go back because I want to work on the issue of abandonment. And so members of their soul family will come in and go, okay, I'm going to come in as your father. I'm going to come in as your sister. I'm going to come in as your wife. And I'm going to help you with that issue by at some point in your life abandoning you. And, okay. the, and this, you know. Let me, let me interrupt. Uh, forgive me. For, just for our, for our listeners, the difference between the soul family and our, our human family is what when we cross over? Our human the human family they, versus our soul family. So there's they, two families we have, right? People we, we we interacted with here on Earth, and they might have been members of the soul family, but this soul family is individuals that we're not aware of when we're in this dimension. We have our regular human family, if you will. Could you articulate that, please, better members, than I can? <laughs> members, members of your soul family are do become members of your biological family. So those souls say they will come into bodies that will be attached to your biological family. So like I said, they'll they'll change they change roles and they change sexes between lifetimes. So your husband in a previous life might come in as your sister in, in your current life. Um, and then they talk about what role they're gonna play in, when they do come in. I'm gonna teach you this. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to learn that because of our interaction. Okay. So we, we travel in pods. That's what a soul family really is. And we just, but we change roles and we change sex between life in each subsequent lifetime. Could it, could it be um, a member of your soul family says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to screw you over in business because you have to learn about what money really is all about. Does that happen? Yes, that they're yes, actually going to come yes. in and play a negative role? Absolutely. Well, it's negative from the human perspective, right, but it's right. not from the, yeah, from the soul's perspective, it's an opportunity for learning. So, so, so could it happen that you cross over, forgive me, that you somebody crosses over and they see a member of their soul family who in the human form screwed them in business and they're like, I don't want to see that person over here. 
Yeah, you know, that's one of the questions I asked. When a soul, member of the soul family would come forward, I'd say, do you have any hesitation about them coming into your life again? And many of them said, yeah, I know what they're going to do, and I don't really want to deal with it. But others said, no, that's all right. We'll, we'll work it through. We have to work it through to balance things out. Yes. While we're here, I don't I don't mean to go off topic, but if we have a soul mission, so let's say we pick our soul mission, our life purpose to go into the next life. I guess question number one would be when we come back, decide, OK, I'm going to go back into another human life, which I would assume is a privilege, even though it can be uncomfortable, because um, what has to be done on Earth has to be cleared up. I guess all the karma has to be done Earth, even if you've gone to other universes and stuff, what you what you do here stays here. It's a little bit unlike, that's kind of like Vegas in that way. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. um, so when that happens, uh, can somebody decide, I want to I incarnate again in the past or in the future, but not along a linear line of time as we see it? So in other words, if I pass tomorrow, could I say, I'm going to go back into a life in the 1860 in South America? Well, I think anything's possible, but I have not ever experienced anybody doing that in the 30 years I've been doing this work. They don't generally go backwards, they go forward. Okay, so once it's done, it's done. The way to, re the way to handle karmic issues from past lives is in future lives. You, don't go, you can't go back and fix them, is that what you're saying? Not you just have experienced that. I, I never say never, uh, Robert, but right. uh, it's, it's not been my experience that anybody's done that. Okay. So then the next step, it sounds like, okay, you're going to pick your life, you agree to your life mission and you agree. Like, I, I wonder what happens if somebody says, I, I didn't realize I signed up for that. Don't mm -hmm. I have free will? Is there any uh, bickering that goes on with the elders? Like, you know, somebody, you know how it is with people, <laughs> like <laughs> they might not agree. Does that happen? Did you get any uh, if, uh, pushback on that from any of your uh, research people? Well, I think... Uh when you come into the human existence, you don't really remember what you signed up for. So uh, that's one of the reasons I did the study, because uh, I noticed in my regression work, a lot of people were blaming everybody, uh, except not taking responsibility for their own lives, their own actions. Um, you know, there's, there's some hesitation among a lot of them about the, the work that they're going to do. But once they say out loud what their soul's mission is, and they they become absorbed in it and understand it, then they're really understanding the, the need to move forward and the need to work on those issues that are holding them back. Okay. Because everything's been outlined for them. It's like mm -hmm. a roadmap. Uh, now, free will, absolutely. They can change course at any given time once they're in human existence. And uh, one of my, the book that I've got coming out next is, is about uh, Thomas Jefferson Reborn is exactly about that issue, about what uh, free will uh, how it can change the trajectory of your soul's mission. Okay, a couple more questions. Uh, the the body. So we decided, okay, I'm going to go back. Uh, then we, we've chosen our parents. Then we choose, we actually choose a body. And, uh, mm -hmm. Apparently you can try on different bodies. And the bodies are chosen based on the circumstances you're going to be dealing with. Right, correct? right. Yeah, uh, many, uh, many souls say they want to experience uh, giving birth. So they become a, a female they'll say or they want to be more nurturing or uh, or they'll say i want the same body i had before i really like that body or some will say i want a very strong athletic body because i want to spend a lot of time outdoors um so you're given that option of of whether to come back as female or, or male um most of the time you pick 75 percent of the time you pick the same 
mm -hmm. same sex. So, Got it. you know, um, okay. but, but some of them have said that it looked like they were in a dry cleaning store with the mm -hmm. bodies going around and picking one. Others saw them on screens and said they were able to pick them that way. Got it. So, so um, so if somebody to come back, uh, let's say they were, they had certain issues they had to deal with and it was suggested, all right, you're going to come back and you're going to be a paraplegic and you're probably not going to have any, your parents are going to die young. You're going to have some major issues to go through because of your karmic stuff. Could you say, wait a minute, that's kind of a lot to go through or, or do we all have to go through every type of experience that anybody's ever gone through to, to ascend? Well, the ones who come back with some disabilities, the way you, you described it, are usually very advanced souls. And they're coming in not so much for their own karma, but they're enabling others to learn lessons. So it's how do the people around them respond to them, respond to their situation? Mm -hmm. And th those souls then learn uh, just because of their being in the presence of somebody uh, like that. So mm -hmm. those are very, very advanced souls who agree to that. Um, and they, they, you know, you're not told you will go back and you will be this or you will experience that. You're deciding that for yourself. So you're, you're designing it on your own. And mm -hmm. the, the council is just there to offer you some guidance on, you know, what, what can you do to best advance your soul's growth? And now, uh, Okay. Now, there's so many people who, I'm, I'm going to say this in a, a nice way, forgive me if I sound judgmental, but they just live their lives with their heads in the sand and they're, they're not aware, they're not thinking of any of this stuff. It's not their fault or anything. They're just living very, you know, uh, reactive lives as, as we're kind of trained by the culture and everything. And how does that tie into, and some maybe not accomplish anything? I don't know. I guess they're on their own individual journey. Help, help us out with that. That'll be our final question about how do you, you know, that's different than, okay, I can be Michael Jackson for better or for worse, but I can reach by being Michael Jackson, all these people through my music, or I can be the guy who, you know, cleans up the restaurant afterwards and uh, has three children and has to really struggle for everything. How do, how do people make, determine those choices? I mean, I, Hey, I'd like to be Derek Jeter, Mick Jagger for a lifetime. That'd be fun. Yeah. 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 Can everybody do that? Well, yeah, because you're looking at what you, you that's the, why the importance of the past life aspect of this has to come into play, because you're looking at what you did or did not accomplish in that previous lifetime and any issues that arose that you might need to work on. And then you design the life around those issues. So uh, and if you've come in, if you have certain attributes, if you're uh, are really athletic in a previous life, you, you could be you'll still be athletic in this life. Um, so you have all those opportunities, but most people are, are ordinary John mm -hmm. Smiths and right. Jane Doe's, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's really a, your, the soul's choice about uh, what the life will be like. Okay. Our special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Joanne DiMaggio. She's a tremendous past life researcher. Her new book is I Did It to Myself Again. New Life Between Live Case Studies Show How Your Soul's Contract is Guiding Your Life. I, it's a research study. But it's really well written, and I had a lot of fun reading it because it had all the stories from the individuals in the study, as well as kind of a pathway, what kind of happens directionally. And each case is a little bit different. Of course, there's no absolutes, but it was really well done. I learned a lot. It opened my mind up a lot. So thank you so much, Joanne, for being on Guys Guys Radio. Please tell everybody where they can learn more about you and get your book. My uh, website is joannedimaggio.com. It's J-O-A-N-N-E-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-O.com. And my books, of course, are all on Amazon.
Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being on Guys Guys Radio, Joanne. Nice to see you again. Same here, Robert. It's Guys Guy Radio. All right, two great interviews today. We had Gay Hendricks and Carol Klein, and we talked about luck and how we can position ourselves through kind of reframing our subconscious to become more lucky by attracting luck to us instead of having that mindset that we are not lucky because so often as we find that we become what we think. Our other guest, Joanne DiMaggio, she really, I think, taught us that um, through her research that, you know, when it's over, it may not be really over because there's so many consistencies in what, in what happened to people when they crossed over and the process that goes through there. And it's all about love. It's not a bad thing. So hopefully that helped everybody out. Guys, Guys Radio, we're here on KCAA every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. here in sunny, Cali- sunny Southern California. The show rebroadcasts every Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time. The pod drops Thursdays, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, slash Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, CastBox, KCAA.com, Blog Talk Radio, and my website, the all-new RobertManny.com, M-A-N-N-I.com, where you can also download three free chapters of my novel that started the whole Guys Guys movement, The Guys Guys Guide to Love. It's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City. And uh, we also have all types of events and uh, 300-plus blog posts. I just wrote one called Lessons from the Lockdown uh, to launch the new site. And it's all about some of the things I've learned that, uh, and I've gotten out of this lockdown to actually improve things for myself. And in no way is that disparaging or diminishing, uh, you know, the pain that this virus has caused. But, you know, sometimes in chaos, we can find opportunity. You can follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, If you want to support us, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Guys, Guys Radio, we're here for you. We've got a bunch of great guests coming up, and I think you're really going to enjoy our upcoming shows. So I really want to help you uh, think, feel, and act. I really want to provide information for you to... uh, just make your life as good as it can possibly be because I know everybody's busy, everybody's stressed out, everybody's got a lot of work to do. So thanks so much to my guests. Thanks so much to you, my listening audience. We'll be back here next Wednesday. Until then, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. Finish first.